Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to episode three of the Air Power Hour. Tech Sergeant Check here, and today's guest is none other than the commander of the 347th Recruiting Squadron, Lieutenant Colonel Patricia Knight, a.k.a. my boss. Colonel Knight is originally from Iowa and has served for 18 years. We had a great conversation where she talked about how her Air Force journey began as an ROTC cadet at Colorado State University. Her career continued in South Korea as an intelligence officer, and after multiple assignments and a deployment, she applied for a command position. She received her first command at the 347th, and at the same time transitioned from the Air Force to become one of the founding members of the United States Space Force. Lastly, we discussed the importance of mental health and how critical it is to destigmatize getting help to ensure we are the best version of ourselves. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk with Colonel Knight. She has an awesome story and is a great leader. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Lieutenant Colonel Patricia Knight. To all units, proceed to your post assignment. To all units, proceed to your post assignment. Welcome to the Air Power Hour. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode three of the Air Power Hour. Today, I am honored to be joined with my commander, the commander of the 347th Recruiting Squadron, Lieutenant Colonel. Patricia Knight. Colonel Knight, welcome. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. I've been talking about this podcast for a really long time, and I, the, one of the guests I had to have on was the commander. I love uh, being here with you every time I walk by your office and it says recording. I'm like, oh, when's it going to be my turn? Yes. I'm yes. so excited to be with you. Yeah, this is awesome. And this is going to actually be the first interview that we have on the Air Power Hour with a Space Force member. So we talked about we want to hear the stories of the Air Force and the Guardians. And now we finally have a Guardian in the seat. You've got a Guardian. Yes, that is amazing. And you, in fact, are the only Guardian in the state of Wisconsin and Iowa, which your squadron covers Iowa, Wisconsin, some Illinois, and even some... Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Upper Peninsula, Michigan. And you are the only Space Force member in Iowa and Wisconsin. How cool is that? It's awesome. It does raise some eyebrows, though, when uh, you're out and about in the community and they see somebody in the Space Force. They're like, do you know something we don't know? Why are you here? Yeah. So, why are you in Wisconsin? Start from the beginning. Here's what here's what the Space Force is, and here's what I'm doing, recruiting guardians and, and airmen for the future Air Force and Space Force. And yeah, it's definitely, it raises some eyebrows, but it's it's super awesome to represent the Space Force in the upper Midwest. Yeah. And it's amazing because you, because oh, there are a lot of sports teams in the area and the Space Force is the new thing. It's really, really intriguing. It's exciting to the population and they want presence out there for the Space Force. And you get the call a lot. A lot. Absolutely. There's, there's lots of calls from the USO, lots of calls from the sports teams wanting individuals there to represent the Space Force, carry the Space Force flag. So yeah, we had um, a lieutenant here with us for about a year, Lieutenant Asbury. Yeah. And so she and I shared the responsibilities for a while. But yeah, until we get another guardian in the AOR, I am uh, I'm carrying the torch. Yeah. And that that's actually brings up an interesting, interesting idea or, or topic. We have these Space Force recruiters. Well, I wonder when they will get actual devoted Space Force recruiters, because it'll be kind of cool to have, you know, the their presence out there in the in the entire country recruiting guardians. Absolutely. And it's an initiative that Air Force is looking at right now and working yeah. with the Space Force with. We were hoping to roll it out sooner than later, mm -hmm. but the Space Force is so small. 
And there are so few guardians that the ability to do special duty at this point of being so young, um, it's something that we're striving towards, but we're just not quite there yet. So that's what's awesome about the partnership that we have, you know, being Department of the Air Force and having the partnership with AFRS so that our airmen can carry that mission for recruiting. You know, the happy compromise right now is that AFRS understands the importance of guardian presence. Um, and influence. And so the agreement that we have with with the Space Force is providing guardian uh, squadron commanders throughout AFRS. So yeah. each one of the groups in in recruiting service is going to have one guardian commander That's so that awesome. there's that that belly button for information yep. and, and reach back to the Space Force. Exactly. And then I didn't even think about that. The fact that the the Space Force is so small right now that pulling people out of their prime do you know their their prime duties just to go out and recruit yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i took a hot second after the air force spun off from the army air corps um i want to say it was seven or eight years before the air force had dedicated recruiters so it's it's a similar philosophy that we're we're small we're getting there but definitely rely heavily on our our air force for a lot of the services that we need to to grow and prosper Hey, we're happy to do it. We're happy to do it. So, and I, I would, I could sit here and talk about the space force all day because it's super intriguing, but I want, we're here to talk about you, Colonel Knight. This is, I want to hear your story because you have an air force and a space force story. So it's very unique. Uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, the day in the life of a commander, uh, and all this awesome stuff that you've been doing here in the 347th and your time in Intel you know, you've got so many cool stories, but I wanted to start off in the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to join the Air Force initially? So my story is not, this is what I've, I've learned throughout my career is when you ask somebody for advice about what to do for career progression or how somebody's advanced in their career, the typical response that you always get, or that I've always gotten is, well, I'll tell you, but mine is not a typical story. Mine mm-hmm. is not a traditional path. So here I am getting ready to tell you that that my path to the Air Force isn't a traditional path. So maybe it's more common than I just know to be true. But the only reason that I joined the Air Force was to go to college. I grew up on a small farm in Iowa. I was uh, I am one of five kids. And the only place that we would go on vacation when I was little was Colorado. We would go to Colorado every year as a family, um, camp out in the mountains. My dad and I would go elk hunting together. And I just absolutely fell in love from the age of eight all the way through school. Colorado is where I wanted to be. And so when it came time to look at colleges, any college in Iowa was out of the question. I only wanted to go to Colorado. So my parents, for whatever reason, entertained the idea. We went on a college visit my junior year to CU Boulder and to Colorado State. And I absolutely fell in love with Colorado State. And I just wanted, no matter what it took, to go to school there. So we went to the uh, financial aid office and very Mm -hmm. quickly realized that out-of-state tuition was not financially feasible for a farmer's family with five kids. And I just, like the, the pain that I was, just sat there and cried and had to find a way to make it work. And my, my dad, I don't even know how how he knew about it, but he knew uh, that there was a military science building on campus. Mm. And he drove me as I was crying over to the military science building and said, 
do you want to go to college here? You have to go inside and you have to join either the Army or the Air Force. You have to get a scholarship because we can't afford to send you. And so in my flip flops and my sundress, I rolled inside. And the way that the detachment at Colorado State was set up, the ROTC detachment, is the first level of the two-story building was Army. And it had a big Army sign. And then there was stairs with an arrow pointing upstairs that said Air Force. And I walked in and looked at the Army and I looked up at the Air Force and I just went up the stairs. I was like, <laughs> I don't know either of the two, but I, I have a feeling I don't think I'd do well in the army. Smart move. Smart, Smart move. move. So I went upstairs and uh, Major Pratt was one of the detachment cadre and he was in the office. And I said, my parents said that you guys would give me a scholarship to go to school here. And luckily this was 2000. So yeah. 99, 2000. So a little bit different military climate than, sure. than what we're facing right now. So they were eager, eager to have me, eager to pay for my school. And my thought process was they'll pay for my school for four years and then I'll do four years in the Air Force, say thank you very much for my education and go on my way. And that was 22 years ago. So so you did an ROTC program there? I did. Wow. I was part of Debt 90, did ROTC for four years and did the classes that they required in the leadership lab that they required for, for their program. And then Went to field training at Lackland for four weeks between my sophomore and junior year. Nice. And then the same weekend that I graduated from Colorado State, I commissioned in the United States Air Force. Wow. And they paid for everything. I mean, everything. I, um, I was too late that first year to get the four year scholarship, but sure. they laid everything out and said, if you meet these requirements, we can get you a three year scholarship paid. So I had. Three years college paid. They gave you a stipend every month. Um, it didn't cover living expenses like the uh, the post nine eleven GI Bill does, mm-hmm. um, but it was it was enough to get me to Colorado. It was yeah. enough to to pay for my school and you know and the things I wasn't aware of is as all of my friends in college were struggling to find employment and what do they do with their lives after they graduate? It was right there yeah. at my feet. It, That's Amazing. It was a blessing that I didn't even know I had coming. So I know how expensive out-of-state tuition is. It's that is ridiculous. Crazy <laughs> that you got it all paid for. I mean, it was an incredible blessing. Absolutely. I uh, I hadn't even thought for a single second about joining the military until that moment at that college visit, and it was the means to what I desperately wanted, and it was something that I was willing to do to have that opportunity, and I. Didn't even know in that moment that in making that decision, it wasn't just the opportunity to go to school, like the past two decades of opportunities that have come my way. It's, I can't imagine where my life would be now if I wouldn't have walked into that building. Yeah. At that point, it was a means to an end. Absolutely. You, know, you wanted to get your college paid for. Who would have thought that 22 years after you graduate, you are now a commander of a squadron? That is a really, really cool story. It was awesome. And I will say I bought in really early on yeah. in, in the ROTC process, the sense of community, mm-hmm. um, the sense of accountability, uh, and the challenges that, that you were given as you were a cadet. It was that check and balance of being a college student that I think more students would probably thrive if they had. Because you had the freedom and independence to do all the things that the college kids do, but you also had that authority figure, that accountability mechanism to make sure that you were meeting your responsibilities and obligations. So it was perfect for me being so far from home, 
but still feeling like I had my people there and I wasn't, I wasn't going through the experience by myself. It's yeah. awesome. So you had mentioned that you'd never thought about the military before going on the college visit. Now, when you were in high school in Iowa, uh, that thought never had crossed your mind. Did you see recruiters in your schools or anything? So, yeah, I absolutely saw recruiters in the area. My dad um, enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1969. He was uh, a Marine Corps scout sniper in Vietnam. So he was only in for a couple of years, but um, his experience in Vietnam and as a Marine was something that he he definitely shared with us. He's a part of the Marine Corps uh, League and, and has presence in our community. And so I was always appreciative of his service and always very aware of um, and thankful for our veterans. But for me, it was just nothing that I ever saw for myself. Yeah, I, I was the same way. Saw the recruiters in high school. Never thought for one second. I was like, that, that's what I was going to do. My father was in the Army National Guard. My, my grandfather was in the Army and appreciated everything they did. I was very patriotic. And, uh, and this was after 9-11, too, when I was completing high school. But I still never, the thought had never crossed my mind to, to join until I woke up and realized that, you know, college probably wasn't the right thing for me at that time. I'm very thankful I made that choice. And that's sure. why, you know, I look at all of our team members, all of our recruiters, and the challenge that that you all have, that we all have in trying to convey that to somebody who's mm-hmm. like, no way, I would never want to join the military. Trying to convey that, hey, I was you. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Because if somebody would have told me when I was 17 that this was going to be my life, I would have thought you were crazy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's definitely difficult because people are brought up a certain way and the traditions and and people don't like to change traditions and the traditional way to becoming an adult or, or having a career is... You go to school, you go to college, you get a job. But people don't really understand that there's alternate routes that can provide the same amount of benefits and the same thing that you want. And that is one of the difficult things trying to get that across to people is, I know that you want to go to college and you can. Absolutely. And you can join the Air Force. Absolutely. And you can serve your country. But at the same time, you can get college paid for. Yes. So, and that's what's awesome. You know, I sit here with a bachelor's and a master's degree and additional certifications and training, and I have zero, I have zero college debt. You know, my my parents and I split the cost of that first year, and I look at all of the education, all of the training. And, you know, my husband is also a veteran and he has his master's degree, and we look at where we came from and what we have, and the fact that we didn't have to break the bank or go into debt for it. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you went to Colorado State University for ROTC. Go Rams. Go Rams. How are the, are the Rams doing all right this year? Here's the thing about the Rams. Everybody, nobody, nobody minds the Rams. They've never hurt anybody. Yeah. Like nobody minds that you're a Rams fan because you're like, that's adorable. Yeah. So, yeah. I love my Rams. Are they doing okay in football this year? Well, you know, uh, they have their ups and their downs. No comment. Yeah. They have a great stadium though that they just built. It's really phenomenal right there on campus. Way different from when I was there forever ago. Well, I can tell you they're probably, they can't be doing... As bad as the Badgers are. I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah. I'm so it's, sorry it's for all of your losses. Subject. I know. it's It's been a rough 
start to the season, but you know what? We'll turn things around. Spoken by a true fan. That's right. <laughs> so you graduate from Colorado State. Where do you, where's your first assignment and what is your, what, what job are you doing as a lieutenant in the Air Force? So the way that it worked when I came through ROTC is they were um, selecting career fields based off of your educational degree. So for example, uh, good friends of mine were political science majors, so they would get selected for intelligence. Okay. Engineers were going to rated career fields or engineering. I was a business major. I did not want to do anything in the business field. And so I wanted to do what all my friends were doing, which was intelligence. Okay. So that was the only thing I put on my dream sheet. I put intelligence and I think I might've actually put PA too, just because I thought it sounded cool. Yeah. But I didn't put anything business related. So when we got our jobs, my uh, cadre member looked at me and said, you've been selected to be an acquisitions program manager. Hmm. And I said, one, I don't know what that is. And two, I don't want to do it because yeah. it's not Intel. And so we went back and forth and we did some research and I understood very clearly why the Air Force wanted me to be a program manager. That's what they've paid for me to go to school for. Mm -hmm. That's what my skills going into the Air Force should be focused around. So it all made sense, but it still didn't make me happy. Of course. Um, which I'm sure any recruiters listening to this can be like, you sound like every applicant I've ever talked to. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so here's what came out of it is all the stars aligned. And that was the introduction of a program called Operational Experience, where the Air Force realized that there was a sector of the Air Force that did essentially corporate type jobs. So okay. think like acquisitions program manager, engineering, um, scientists. Uh, there was several career fields that the Air Force was putting a lot of money and trust into supporting operations. Yeah. But the individuals who were selected for these jobs struggled with understanding the support that they needed to provide to operations. So their solution, which was awesome, was to take individuals like me, who's mm -hmm. going to be doing, a, you know, a, an office-based acquisitions job and putting us in operational career fields like intelligence, maintenance. So for four years, we would career broaden outside of our original career field and we would go do a different job. So my first assignment when I got my orders was to Goodfellow Air Force Base for intelligence school. Wow. So I got the best of both worlds. Yeah, you took the back door route. And I sure did. And it was it. phenomenal. It was phenomenal. So my first four years in the Air Force were in intelligence and then I transferred over to acquisitions um, at my four-year mark. And so I wanted, just like you said, the whole backdoor approach, I desperately wanted to game the system to stay in intelligence forever. So yeah. I did everything I could to maximize that time. So typically, a, a stateside assignment at that time was three years. And I knew that if I went to Intel school for a year, I'd only have one assignment in Intel before I'd have to go to acquisitions. Sure. So I volunteered to do what's called a remote tour, which is a 12-month unaccompanied tour to Kunsan Air Base in Korea because I knew mm. if I did a 12-month tour, I'd get a follow-on yes. to the base of my preference. And so I'd get two tours before I'd have to go back to acquisitions. Very nice. It was awesome. Yeah. And how was Korea? It was phenomenal. It was the perfect first assignment. It was you hit the ground running, you yeah. work hard, you play hard. The spin up, you have to learn your responsibilities fast and you have to master them because you're sure. there for such a short time and there's such an important mission. So 
I um, I was at the Operation Support Squadron. I was supporting the F-16 mission. There's two F-16 fighter squadrons at Kunsan, so I was providing intel support for both. Um, Very cool. And it was it was a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah, that's amazing. It was great. And then your follow-on, where did you, you said you got a base of preference? So I went to Lake and Heath. I Lake, went to RAF oh, Lake so and Heath. Oh, you stayed overseas. Yes, yes. And Lake and Heath is where? So Lake and Heath is in England. England. Um, yeah, so there's, there's several bases in, in England. And Lake and Heath, when I was there, was supporting, uh, there was a rescue squadron, and then there were three F-15 squadrons. Nice. So same again, I was at the, at the Operation Support Squadron supporting uh, F-15 operations. That's pretty cool. It was fantastic. Yes. And doing intelligence, I know you can't get into any of the crazy details of the job, but what is a typical day in the life of like an intel officer? Lots of briefing. So for me, it was, it was a perfect fit. I love to talk. I, yeah. love, I love to have an audience. I love to do all the talking and have people do all the listening. Heck so that's yeah. just my natural personality trait. So to put me in front of a room full of people and to talk about, you know, mission plans and tactics, techniques and procedures and threat maneuvering, it was, it was fantastic. It was very natural for me and my personality traits to, to do that job. Yeah. And I know that we've had, I, I get, we've gotten, I've gone on deployments and I've gotten, I've received intelligence briefings. Uh, were you doing anything like that or was it just strictly for the fighter squadrons or? So it was strictly for the fighter squadrons. No, I went to, I deployed to Balad Air Base when okay. I was at Lake and Heath. And so my responsibilities there were a little bit more along those lines that, that you were just speaking to where I would brief the wing commander um, and kind of do like the intelligence assessment roll-ups for yes. the AOR. So more broad audience when I was at Balad versus when I was at Lake and Heath and Kunsan. You know, I always thought intelligence was such a cool job. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know that the Air Force had intelligence jobs when I joined. I probably, looking back on it, I may have gone that route if I could have. Intelligence just sounds so interesting. And the I, the fact that you get a top secret security clearance, I I told at, when I was a recruiter, I told all of my applicants that were potentially qualified for an intelligence job, I sold it hard. I was like, this is such a cool job. You get to do really really amazing things. You have access to a lot of amazing things, and that top secret security clearance is like gold in the yeah. civilian world. And, and I think that that was the greatest thing that I didn't realize at the time is not only in the moment, the jobs that I was doing and the opportunities that I had, but the doors that it opened yes. and, and the things that I was um, qualified and marketable for following my time in Intel. Um, once I joined acquisitions, I, I've had a lot of jobs in acquisitions, but a couple of them that I did have were, were four three-letter agencies as an acquisitions program manager. And the reason that I was desirable for those positions is because I had strong intelligence skills and background. So relating to the operators, relating to the customers, mm -hmm. knowing how to handle the requirements, I was, I was prepared for that. And I, I had been through the operational experience to be able to advocate for the users when I was, you know, building and buying you know, the programs and, and the things that the three-letter agency users needed. Yes. And just for the audience, if nobody knows, a three-letter agency are the government-level agencies. I don't even know if I can say them, but 
It's like the CIA, FBI, NRO, NGA. So, yeah, we're talking big time players here. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you did the Intel. Uh, Did you go to, you went to acquisitions after that? Yes. So, when I got back from Lake and Heath, um, my first acquisitions assignment was at Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado. Colorado. Yes. And so, that's what started my journey essentially to become a guardian unbeknownst to to me at the time the the jobs that i was selected to do in acquisitions for the air force were very space centric so okay. um i was supporting norad northcom i was supporting um aft space at the time so the missile warning and the space centric jobs that i did in in the air force when the Space Force stood up in 2019 and they asked for volunteers to transfer over, my entire time in acquisitions had been in support of those missions that were transferring to the Space Force. Wow. So it was an easy decision for me to raise my hand and say, yeah, absolutely. Let's yeah, do this. for sure. And you had to have been, I mean, one of the first, you were probably that first group of people that founding member, founding member. Yeah. The, uh, the rollout of, because I transferred over in 2021, um, but there was a change in administration that kind of delayed that that group of transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the space operators were the first ones to transfer over after 2019 in a lot of the key leadership positions. And it was shortly on the heels that the the group that got approved that I was in was, was awesome. next in line. That is it was cool. awesome. And while all this is happening, you take over command. As a 347th recruiting squadron. Yeah, it actually happened simultaneously. So my selection for the Space Force happened within months of my selection for command for the 347th recruiting squadron. And so I actually transferred over to the Space Force after I took command as a recruiting squadron commander. So I showed up up as an airman and then came back to work after the 4th of July weekend and... It's like, wait a minute, she's Poof, got a different I have, uniform on. I have, I have blue name tapes. That's interesting. So let's talk a little bit about being a commander of a squadron. Absolutely. I mean, that's huge. How does one become a commander as, a, as an officer? Um, it's something that is, it is a voluntary process. It's something okay. for the best of reasons. You don't want somebody to involuntarily be a commander. Yes. So it is something that you have to volunteer for. And you have to do what you can. Nothing can prepare you for being a commander, I will say. But you have to take the steps um, to do your best to be prepared. So that means education requirements and, you know, leadership opportunities and um, being able to communicate to to who is selecting the commanders for the positions, why you think you are a good fit for that opportunity. Okay. And... Is this your first command? It is. Yes, this is first my first command. command. I must say, ma'am. All right. Now, I'm a little biased because you're our squadron commander, but you have done a phenomenal job for your first command. Check. And now, and I know, you know, EPR season's right around the corner, and I'm not I saying this say, because of what? that. No. Are you buttering me up for something? Yeah. No, no. Um, you have a... I've had a lot of commanders in my, I've been in for 16 years. You have a motherly presence and it is very, very clear that you, your main focus is people. 
taking care of people. And I can speak from experience how much of an impact that has on people like us, the, the, the regular people in the squadron. It is very, very important to know that our leadership has our back. And being here in the same building as you, I can tell that you care. And it is tough. In a recruiting squadron, your first command, all of your people are geographically separated. You don't get to just have a, a couple commanders calls, yeah. one in the morning and one in yeah. the afternoon. You've got to figure out how to strategically send messaging out to your recruiters to show them that you care and, and you're doing a great job. Thank you. Well, the great thing about our team and the great thing about not only our squadron, but what I've seen throughout recruiting is it's a team effort. Yeah. I can't imagine doing this job, serving this mission without our team. Yes. The leadership team, our flight chiefs, our recruiters, ev everybody on this team has in one shape, form, or another contributed to us being able to get things done. And yeah. I, I firmly believe in, uh, in serving. Mm -hmm. I am not the commander. I have the honor of serving as your commander. Sure. And it, it's, it's something that I don't take for granted and that I'm incredibly honored to do because I think that everybody can relate to at some point in your career when you're at the bottom of the food chain, mm -hmm. you see things that man, if this were just a little bit different, our jobs would be so much easier. Or yes. I could do better at this if this one barrier were removed. Mm -hmm. And coming into this opportunity to serve as, as a commander, it is awesome that I get to be that person finally yeah. to remove those barriers for our team members so that everybody can get after the mission. Yep. It's my absolute favorite part about this job. Yeah, I, I agree. I One goal I set for myself as soon as I actually learned about what they did was my goal was I wanted to become a master sergeant because that is the point in time in your career where you shift focus from your personal, like I did this, I did this, I did this to now it's on the people you care for. Absolutely. The people you take care of. Absolutely. And I just got my degree in, in leadership and that really- I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. Thank you, ma'am. But that really focuses on shifting the attention away from yourself mm -hmm. into the people that you're taking care of. And I've always, especially in NCOA, that really sold me. That was like, I want to do that. I don't want it to be about my personal accolades anymore. I want it to be about, I supervised this person and they did that. Yes. And I guarantee, you know, any supervisor knows the accomplishments of the individuals that you supervise will mean more and bring mm -hmm. a bigger smile than any accomplishment that you yes. achieve for yourself. It's so cool to see those that that you work with and that that you help mentor and lead succeed and do well. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. But recruiting is a stressful job. <laughs> it is. And FY22 has definitely been it was definitely it, a challenging year for sure. Yeah, it, they threw some some challenges our way, but we can successfully say that we made gold. We did. FY22. I'm so proud of this team. I mean, the recruiters out there did such a phenomenal job. When our backs were up against the wall, they put in the work along with the flight chiefs and their guidance, and they got it done. Absolutely. You know, when we had Major General Thomas here visiting our AOR a couple weeks ago, um, one of the things I told him is that the year seemed to be insurmountable. Mm -hmm. What we were being asked to do seemed 
to be unachievable. And it was 100% the grit and determination of this entire team that got us across the finish line. And I couldn't, I could not be more impressed with our team and how everybody, even in the face of adversity was like, all right, here we go. Let's do it. Yeah. And speaking of adversity, a hot issue or a hot button topic that, that seems to be surfacing uh, is the idea of mental health. Absolutely. Especially a job as stressful as recruiting. Absolutely. How do you as a commander, the person who is serving these people and leading them, how do you combat something like like stress or mental health? Well, first, I want to say that you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head that mental health is definitely it's a hot topic right now. Um, And I am very grateful that it is. I, I absolutely am a big advocate for destigmatizing mental health, especially in the military community. Yes. Um, so the more it's talked about, the more individuals share their stories, the more our team, our Air Force, our Space Force, our military, our society, as soon as the message is out that it is okay mm-hmm. to ask for help and that everybody deserves to be the best version of themselves, it couldn't come soon enough. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm glad that you, that you brought that up. Um, For me specifically, being in this position, I have an incredible support team. I have an incredible leadership team here. I have a wonderful husband who is uh, a saint in my books for being able to put up with me, but (laughs) he's a partner. He is is my person and he provides incredible support for me as a wife, a mom, and a commander. And I I have my people. I have a great group of family members and friends who have supported me at every turn. And I can't discount the support that we get from our, our wingmen, our airmen sure. and guardian team members. I, I couldn't do this job without the support of, of my peers who work with me. Yeah. I have Sergeant Keith out there. He's a, he's a good wingman. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You've got a good, you've got a good wingman. Yeah. We've got a really good team here in ops. Absolutely. But in addition to that, I will say that I think it's important and I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that when it comes to mental health and when it comes to stress and when it comes to managing life, it is important to be able to ask for help, to recognize that, hey, I am not my best version of myself. Mm -hmm. I am not enjoying the good things as much as I know I should be. I am overreacting to the bad things more than I know I should be. It's important to take a minute to self-reflect and to raise your hand and say, hey, something's not right here. I need to make some changes. And that for me happened much earlier in my Air Force career. I was, um, I was a captain. Scott and I had just PCS'd. My husband, Scott, and I had just PCS'd to LA Air Force Base in California. Mm. Um, our two kiddos were four and 18 months. And wow. we had two dogs. We were so excited. Everything was great. But my body told me that it was too much and mm-hmm. it manifested in ways that I didn't anticipate. I, I thought that I had neurological issues. I was going to see doctors and it was anxiety. Yeah. And it, it took that moment in my life, in my career where I thought I was fine. I thought something physically wasn't okay for my team, you know, the doctors, my husband to say, hey, 
you outwardly think you should be fine, but you've got a lot of stress going on. You've got a lot of things in life. Take a minute, Mm -hmm. take care of yourself. And I was very lucky to have had that moment in time where somebody sat me down and said, it's okay. And, you know, my mental health journey, that was about a decade ago. And I've been very aware and taking care of myself. And that 100% prepared me to be in the position I'm in right now. If I wouldn't have recognized early how important it is to take care of yourself and your mental health and that you deserve to be the best version Mm -hmm. of yourself, I can tell you that the stress of this job would probably be handled fairly differently than what I'm able to do because of all those things that have come before. Yeah. And the stigma of going and trying to seek help or, or, you know, seeing someone about mental health while you're in the military is, you know, oh, you're going to get kicked out. It's going to negatively impact your career. You were a captain. Look at you now. I was just going to say, let me be the first to destigmatize that. I am a lieutenant colonel. I've been in for 18 years. I have a top secret security clearance. Yes. And I'm a commander. And I have very openly sought help for the things I needed to be the best version of myself. There are not the negative repercussions. There are certain career fields where there's considerations to make sure Sure. that you are taken care of and that the mission is taken care of. But I will absolutely, I, I will say at every opportunity that I get that I am a living proof. I'm a walking example that you are able to take care of your mental health and still have an incredibly successful Air Force career at the same time. Yeah. And you shared that story about what you went through in a commander's call to the entire squadron, letting everybody know. And that really hit home for me uh, because while you told that story, I was struggling with anxiety and I had no idea that I was. My daughter, a couple years ago, my daughter tripped, fell, and she broke her arm. And it was something at the time, obviously, it's super, you know, scary and it's you're sad and as it's a terrifying. Absolutely. And I had to take her to the hospital and, you know, kids, they get better. She, Absolutely. She healed up. Everything got better. What I didn't realize was going to happen is that I wasn't going to heal up. And I started becoming really anxious because I was so afraid that she was going to break her arm again. You carried it with you far after she healed. As a parent, when the only thing we want to do is be able to take care of our children. And at that point, I felt like I couldn't take care of her. You know, how was I supposed to fix her broken arm? I can't do it. I can't take care of her. So in my head was like, okay, if I can't take care of her broken arm, I'm going to make sure she never gets one again. So I'm going to hover. I'm going to be telling her to stop running on the playground. The the straw that broke the camel's back really, and, and this is a story that's kind of sad, but I'm kind of glad it happened, was my mom was in town and she was dancing with my daughters. Your mom's phenomenal, by the yes, way. Yes. Thank you. She would love to hear that. <laughs> um, I love your mom. Yeah. She's in Scotland right now. Oh. So living it up. I'm jealous. Yeah. So... My mom is dancing with my daughters, and this is supposed to be a beautiful thing. You know, my, my, their grandma is there and Absolutely. yada, yada. The only thing I can think about is my mom was spinning my daughter, Quinn, around with her by her arm that she had broke like two and a half years ago. The only thing that was going through my head was she's going to break that arm. Oh, check. And I mean, that was just, it's a ridiculous thought, but that was the type of 
processes that were going through my brain. And then you had a commander's call and you talked about that. And I was like, okay, I got to go get checked out. I got to just try to make sure that I'm good and, and be the best version of myself. Absolutely. And I can tell you wholeheartedly that since I went and spoke to the doctor, I have felt amazing. Um, and they've helped me out. So I appreciate that you were open about your story to everyone in your squadron. Again, you're very motherly, but it helped me out too. So I appreciate it. I'm proud of you, Jack. Yeah. I was very, way, way too proud to go do something like that on my own. Yeah. And it, it was, it was you. And then I had a conversation with my mom actually that same weekend. And my mom was like, Oh, I, I went to go see the doctor about anxiety a long time ago. I've been taking medication for it for years. I'm and like, I what? I feel great. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, and I, yeah, I feel great. I feel great. So absolutely. I appreciate you guys. And, and that's what it is, is, you know, whatever that self-care looks like, if it is going to see a doctor, if it is talking to somebody regularly, mm -hmm. if it is medication, if it's, if it's as simple as yoga and meditation, yes. it, anything, whatever that looks like, we all deserve, we all deserve happiness. Yes. Everybody deserves happiness. Agreed. And if it takes just a little extra help to get you to that point of being able to handle life as it comes, I will do everything I can in whatever platform I'm given to help destigmatize mental health. Because it's, it's something that if I wouldn't have taken the steps to be a better version of me, it would have been catastrophic, not yeah. just for, for me, but you know, that's, that stress on my family that I'm happy was very short lived. Yes. And I have been able to be successful in my career because of taking that action, not because I chose not to. Does that make sense? That like, makes really good sense. Yeah. yeah. You are where you're at because you decided to take actions to be your best self. Absolutely. Instead of being too proud it could have had total adverse reactions. Yeah. So. And that's what, I mean, I know what exactly what commanders call you're talking about. And and the reason that I was so important for me to have that conversation is we're in the upper Midwest. Yes. Seasonal depression <laughs> is an incredibly real thing. Yeah. It's a long winter and Shirt and I, our first sergeant and I were incredibly worried about our team. It was mm -hmm. a challenging time in recruiting. It was a very long winter Yeah, and it catches up with people. And I just wanted our team to know it is okay to ask for help. Yeah, We are here for you. I will never judge you. And I will do everything I can to get you the help that you need to be the best version. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we all appreciate it. And it's too bad that you have to leave soon. <laughs> You're not rid of me yet. I'm I have, not... I have a few more months. Yeah. But those, t that time flies. I know. So. Hopefully they can replace you with, with someone who has the same mindset because you're right. Recruiting up in the Midwest is difficult. I don't think we saw sun for like six months. It was awful. Last year. I mean, it was a bummer. We moved to Wisconsin in summer of 2021. Absolutely fell in love with it. Started talking about why haven't we thought about Wisconsin as a retirement yeah. plan? This place is amazing. Yeah. And then winter hit. And we said, <laughs> you know what? Wisconsin's great to visit during the summer. Yeah, that's the thing. It's wonderful in the summer, but boy, oh boy, does it. And I'm not knocking Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is absolutely phenomenal. My family has been very happy here, but I definitely had the red flag concern of 
wow, we have not seen the sun in like yeah. three months. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so switching gears a little bit, uh, there's a couple questions I want to ask you before we wrap this up. Okay. One of them is you've been in, you've said active duty for 18 years, correct? Yes. yes. What is one piece of wisdom or benefit that you've gained that has been the most important to you in your 18 year career? Wow. Well, I don't know if I can narrow it down to just one, but a couple of things that I am very aware of now. So like focusing on our applicants specifically, and I Mm -hmm. guess not even just that, like those that are early in their career. Sure. If I were limited to what I thought I wanted when I started my Air Force career, I'd be devastated because there have been so many opportunities that have come my way that I never knew I wanted, that I never would have selected if given the choice. And I look back on each and every one of them with fondness and complete like gratefulness for, for those opportunities. So I guess I would say that I've learned not to limit yourself to what you think you're capable of. Don't say no, say yes to opportunities. Be a person who says yes to a challenge. And when you look back on it, I I can't think of any of the challenges that I've been like, oh, okay, yes. And I've looked back on, I'm like, why did I do that? Look back, I'm like, oh my God, I did that. And so that was definitely something that didn't come naturally for me. I I told you the story. I did not want to do acquisitions. Holy cow. If I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that career field and and to be where I am now, I would be, I would be regretful. Yeah, for sure. I always say whenever you can learn something new, my thing is you've got a tool belt, right? If you can do something new or you can learn something, a new skill, Mm -hmm. you're just adding tools to the tool belt. And it's only going to help you become a better person, a better airman or guardian, and and more resilient. Absolutely. Um, I'd say the other thing is, so when I was at Peterson, there was a leadership conference and they had a bunch of guest speakers come in. And one of the guest speakers that they had was Derek Hall, who is um, uh, the, I think he's the CEO manager, big title for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Okay. Um, he was a sensational motivational speaker, learned a ton from him. But one of the things that he said was to always crash the party, meaning if there's something that you are interested in, or if there is something that you want the opportunity for, ask. Yeah. If you talk yourself out of asking or pursuing or putting your name in the hat for, you're telling yourself no. Mm-hmm. So in so many words, I've learned to crash the party and put myself out there for opportunities and encourage my troops to put themselves out there for opportunities, even if they're a long shot. And it, it's paid off. So crash the party. everybody. Yeah. And that was a good tool to have. Uh, that is a good tool to have as a commander in a recruiting squadron too, Absolutely. because our group that we report to is all the way out in Utah. We're all the way out here in Wisconsin. So squeaky wheel gets the grease. You, got, you have to ask, you got to crash the party. Definitely. And I am absolutely an advocate of, of asking for the things mm-hmm. that we need to be successful. And it's the same thing in our communities as recruiters. You know, if, if you have purpose and presence in your communities, if you look at an event or a venue that you don't think they would want military recruiters there, ask. Yeah. Yep. See if you can get your foot in the door. It, it would be amazing to forge new relationships with, with that mentality of, hey, I'm here. Let's, yeah. 
Let's do this. All right. So last question, Colonel Knight. Yes. And this is going to be good for you because you are the squadron commander of a recruiting squadron. So you have had the the blessing or the opportunity to talk to a lot of applicants, a lot of very you know, fresh young faces that are trying to join the Air Force. We're going to play a little role playing, okay? I am a brand new airman. I just walked through the gateway to the Air Force in Lackland Air Force Base. I am sitting down across the table from Lieutenant Colonel Knight. What piece of wisdom or, or information would you pass on to that brand new airman? Oh my gosh. So first I would say welcome to the family and yes. congratulations. This is going to be an incredible ride. I would absolutely encourage that brand new airman to surround themselves with individuals that challenge them. Mm-hmm. I just got back from uh, a girl's trip to Nashville with yeah. my two best friends who are both Lieutenant Colonel Commanders Nice that we've been friends since ROTC. And the people that you surround yourself with help you become the person that you are. And if you surround yourself with incredible individuals, which there are more than plenty in the Air Force and Space Force, uh, you will do great things. And so I'd say that. And I'd also say that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I don't, I wouldn't want a brand new airman to define themselves by the mistakes they make as long as they learn from them. Because yeah. you learn, I would say, more from failure uh-huh. than what you do from success. And so I would highly recommend to to fail. It's okay to make a mistake as long as you reflect, you learn, and you move on. And you don't, you don't make that same mistake twice. Yeah. I, Lord knows that I have made plenty of mistakes and, and <laughs> have probably become a better, stronger person from learning from them yeah. versus if they wouldn't have happened. So yeah, it's, it's okay to make a mistake. For sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Check. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been amazing. And I really appreciate you telling your story. I had no idea that Colorado State paid for your entire I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. How lucky was I? Like, yeah. how amazing is that? I mean, those opportunities are out there, listeners. Absolutely. Okay. And I know that you're going to interview so many people, which let me say thank you for doing this podcast. I can't tell you how proud I am of you and Sergeant April Hall, our, our PA and CO here at 347, for, for taking this brainchild yeah. and making it what it is. I listened to episode one and was just completely blown away as a podcast lover. It was, it's phenomenal. I'm so proud of you. I'm so appreciative that you made this happen. Well, we're glad that we have a a command that uh, will support us and you've given us awesome opportunities to interview some amazing guests. I mean, we'll keep them coming. We had the AFRS commander here and the, the command chief. How great was that? If you didn't have faith in us, you could have totally just said, no, we're not going to do the podcast. You had faith in us. Absolutely. We appreciate that. So thank you. It's awesome. I can't wait to see what comes next yeah. for this podcast and this team. Awesome. Well, again, Lieutenant Colonel Knight, commander of the 347th Recruiting Squadron, the Knights of the North. Thank you so much. This is the Air Power Hour. Take, Take- care, friends. Yes. Yes. <laughs>